0: effectively in real estate, your only rights are the rights that governments allow you to have. So there's no way to be in real estate and not deal with governments. And we try to figure out how do we work with governments in a way that we have great outcomes and so do they. You are listening to the AFIRE Podcast. Real estate, technology, cross-border investing and the opportunities of a changing world. Let's start a conversation now.
1: You know, I often wonder what would happen if the overall impact of all the investing activity that we're doing went to actually make things better uh, instead of just getting us a decent risk-adjusted return um, and that's that's an interesting question and a great one to uh, ask as you're sitting around uh, late at night wondering if the world could be a better place. But there are actually some people that are focused in on that. And a lot of the conversation, certainly around international investing and capital, especially coming from Europe and Canada, has been focused on ESG. And we've made incredible progress there. But there are many more steps to go and many more things that we should or could be doing as inve- investors well beyond Uh, a a good return. So I am fortunate enough to be able to sit down today with Michael Cooper. He's the founder and chief uh, responsible officer of Dream Unlimited, a firm that's working with uh, institutional investors around impact investing. And he, along with Richard Florida, uh, wrote, uh, I think, an interesting article with AFIRE Summit in our last uh, issue. I encourage everyone to take a look at that. But in the meantime, let's, let's sit down with Michael and get some kind of perspective on this category called impact investing. So thank you so much, Michael, for joining me on the Fire podcast.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So, well, why don't we just start? I mean, I think these terms get confused to a certain extent, and then there's a lot of overlap. I'm sure it's quite a Venn diagram, but what is the difference between what we are now doing around ESG and what is a broader term in terms of impact investing?
0: I, I think that both ESG and impact investing would be part of um, responsible investing. Um, But in many ways, they're the exact opposite. ESG is a process of looking at environmental, social and and, and governance issues that could have a negative effect on the value of investment. So if you look at a company like an oil company, you could say, well, you know, am I reflecting 100% of the risk as a result of um, the carbon emissions? You can take a look at a company that operates in a country that's uh, has political issues and say, I think there's governance issues here that may affect the value of my investment. So really ESG, you start from, let's say a hundred marks and you deduct from that environmental, social and governance risks embedded in the company. Mm-hmm. You cannot get one mark for ESG. You only get negative marks. Okay. Impact is the complete opposite. Impact is focused on what can we do to have a, a, a measurable improvement into a... Uh, I mean, I think it's primarily social and uh, environmental areas. And I think what's so important about that is um, I just function better with starting from zero and building up by doing great things and measuring it. So um, I, I think they're actually opposites, but they get put together and then it gets really confusing what's what. So as far as impact investing goes, I think the idea about it is for us, especially what we're focused on is achieving market returns. While uh, measuring mm-hmm. and delivering social good, but we don't substitute one for the other. We have to do both. Right.
1: Well, I mean, would it be accurate to reflect that to a certain extent, it's defense and offense? Uh, you need both.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I also think that our view of it is, if you cannot create a competitive return, it's more like philanthropy or or, or a very uh, uh, unscalable uh, uh, endeavor. Mm-hmm. If you can focus on how do you get competitive returns plus social good, then I think you get to make a huge difference in the world.
1: When, um, and, and by the way, I, I love your title, Chief Responsible Officer. I mean, we should all be Chief Responsible Officers, but what a great title. Where did that come from? I, I do want
0: to address that because um, I always thought the Chief Executive Officer and President was so positive for the person with that title. You're a chief, you're an executive, you're an officer, and you're President. And I just found in my day-to-day job um, as the founder and, and, and uh, the guy who runs things, all I deal with is things where I have to take responsibility. Hmm. So good things, they don't get to me that often. All the difficult stuff comes to me. And I felt that um, a- as a leader of a company, it's important that people understand that the more uh, um, perks you get, the more benefits you get in your position, so does uh, the increased responsibility. And I wanted to focus not on how great you are, but how much more responsibility. And as an example, um, a, a gentleman got promoted from vice president to senior vice president, and he asked for a reserved parking spot. and And I suggested to him that if he got to the office when I did, you can choose any spot you want.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: And that's because I have a lot I got to get done every day. Yeah, yeah. So I felt that uh, the chief responsible officer actually described uh, what I do more accurately and, and, and also suggested to people that um, I'm, I'm serving them.
1: I suspect that if Harry Truman were alive, he'd agree with you. Um, there's certainly a buck stops here kind of mentality to that. Well, I mean, you know, historically the pushback, I think, around um, impact and to a certain extent ESG have been people asking, well, if I am sacrificing any level of profitability in order to deliver uh, a more impactful investing, is that somehow a betrayal of the fiduciary responsibility that they have to their constituents? Um, If they do that, um, how do you answer those kinds of questions around, gee, I mean, I would be this way, except my first responsibility is my fiduciary.
0: Um, I think that they're uh, two different things that have nothing to do with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always felt that in economics, the, the complete economic cost and benefit of something should be measured. Yeah. So, you know, but we don't really have a system like that. So as an example, maybe there's things that we should do that are better and for society economically it would be better, but we don't get measured that way. So the additional benefits don't count and and that's fine. But I think if you focus on uh, what's a good business and I would suggest to you that there's a lot of businesses that are focused on uh, underrepresented communities as you know, having better opportunities or local produce or healthier uh, uh, produce. And uh, these companies have been unbelievably successful because that's what people want. Right. So you could make a a, a snack food that has nothing in it that's natural, or you could make something that's local uh, uh, and that uh, is is healthy, and it could be a big success, and you're going to make more money that way. And you're seeing it. You're seeing it with um, some of the big packaged goods producers who have shifted to what people want more that happens to be more beneficial for your health. Um, And they're way outperforming the ones that have uh, the old fashioned kind of snack food or a a processed product. So I I don't think it's it's simple. I think that you can make the most money by serving people in a way that uh, they value. What's interesting for what we do, which is looking at real estate is, we actually have um, some tremendous societal needs that real estate can um, address. And we have the benefit of being able to charge the user for it. But we can also work with governments to help them achieve some of their broader goals through real estate. And uh, uh, we we can get additional incentives through uh, putting all the pieces together to to, to make real estate more significant for the communities that they're in and service our community better. Uh, So we're able to put the deals together where we make a lot of money and and, uh, we're very proud of it. Mm -hmm. We distinguish ourselves. By being singularly focused on the numbers and also being singularly focused on the benefits. And when I say that, what I mean is a very rigorous analysis of each. Mm-hmm. We, we don't think one's a substitute for the other. Well, you know, that,
1: that makes a lot of sense when you think about it historically that uh, the successful real estate investors are those that are finding undervalued assets, undervalued markets, and delivering to them. I think a lot of the reason why we don't invest enough in areas uh, that, that are underserved by their built environment is because of uh, built-in biases or a question about whether or not a certain neighborhood is valuable or not, going back to you know the redlining and everything else along
0: those lines, that that's actually value that's untapped that we can find. Well, one of the things we did was um, we, we decided that when we measure impact, we measure what we do, but we also measure the benefits that accrue because of what we did. So... One of the things we've been doing is we we focus on setting goals that will be um, spending 20% of our money on underrepresented or local uh, organizations, companies. And uh, we started just a year ago. Already, we're meeting those goals. What what we did that's a little unusual is we also said that we would um, uh, make available to anybody who's interested publicly who our underrepresented organizations are, because we'd like to see them grow and have support. And we do try to help them with how do they manage growth? Because sometimes there are gaps in uh, business and, and, and they have a lot of things going for them, but it's hard for them to scale without s- some coaching or assistance. Um, we hit our 20% mark already, and we're able to introduce people that are suppliers to us, to other uh, real estate organizations and help them grow. And I think it's a win-win-win because um, we're getting good service, we're getting good value, and we're helping them achieve their goals. So I think, I think things like that are, are, are examples of how it doesn't have to be a trade-off.
1: Correct. Correct.
0: I, I would add that um, we have found areas in our communities that we can't make work uh, to maximize profit. Uh, we call that philanthropy, mm-hmm. and we've set up a foundation that focuses on things like tutoring students in our uh, our buildings and uh, breakfast in our buildings before kids go to school um, and things that you know create glue in the communities. I think it's really important personally. I don't think it's appropriate for our organization to fund. So we funded it uh, personally and uh, it really does make a big difference because we're trying to add to the social safety net with some of the programs that we do. Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the biggest issues we have in society is that a lot of people don't feel society's working for them or they don't feel lucky or fortunate. So like this summer, we sent a bunch of kids to camp that otherwise wouldn't have gone. Mm-hmm. And I think that the more people have experiences that, um, uh, something good happened, something good. That was maybe beyond my means, or I didn't have the experience to know even that that existed, we're helping them for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And, uh, I was really blown away because Harvard came out with a study this year, And they looked at people with uh, lower incomes, young, young people, children of, of lower income. And they had done a very exhaustive study, where they looked at people who came from lower income, and how much time they spent with kids from higher incomes. And it is a direct relationship, the more time that children of lower incomes spend with children of higher doesn't have to be super rich, but higher levels of income, the more money they make as adults. Interesting.
1: So I, I certainly, that seems to to disprove the thesis from the middle of the century, where we isolated those that were, that were less well off from those that were. That somehow the whole thesis of a city being a place of multiple economic levels being a positive and that positive for everyone um, certainly seems to prove that.
0: I, I think that there needs to be a, a social inclusion as well as just physical inclusion to make it work. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, you know people feeling that the system works for them, having hope, feeling lucky, excited about the people they spend time with, literally the, uh, having respectful housing um, are, are really meaningful to change people's lives. And um, we're able to do it because, um, you know, governments use a stick and a carrot to help real estate participants achieve the goals that government has. In Canada, we're fortunate that um, There is both. It's not just making it harder and harder to develop. And I think that uh, if you're able to help the government achieve their goals, um, there's a real value to the government to interact with you. Mm -hmm. And I think that, uh, you know, we're able to, um, we have to work really hard at the beginning of a, of a idea because there's a lot of work to get everything in place to be able to build housing that has below market rents as well as market rents that might be net zero or very, very low emissions. And that has a uh, social benefits. It's a lot of work to put it together in a way that you can make a lot of money, but that that's before you have to spend a lot of cash. Right. It's a lot of sunk time, mm-hmm. but if you get it right, you can have a higher returning, lower risk outcome. And uh, we, we think, a higher return, lower risk outcome, which I think is uh, pretty exceptional. Yeah. And then you look at uh, the people that work at your office and the pride that they have. We, we have accountants that go to our communities to show their kids what it is they're working on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Even though they're doing the accounting, they're doing like receivables and payables and they take their children to say this, this community that's mixed, that's so cool. That's what I work on. Yeah, And I think it helps us attract people, retain people. Um, and we just keep building and building on, on our ideas. So I, I think it's, uh, more glue for the people that work at our company. And I think we're better counterparties all over. So I don't know, sometimes people want to build a garage and you have to go to the city and you have to get the city to let you build a garage. Right. You might want to add four feet to the back of your house. You got to get this. So effectively in real estate, your only rights are the rights that governments allow you to have. So there's no way to be in real estate and not deal with governments. And we try to figure out how do we work with governments in a way that we have great outcomes and so do they.
1: That's wonderful. And it it seems to me that uh, your philanthropy, I might want to put an asterisk next to, because it seems to be a long-term investment that you're making that will benefit the investments that you're making, that will benefit the, the properties if you have uh, committed tenants, if you have committed employees, because of what you're doing. It seems to me that you have a, a better risk profile in terms of when times are bad and you have a better uh, upside uh,
0: when you have that kind of commitment. I, I, think it's, um, I, I think it's such an important thing, this idea about creating the uh, soft part of what a community is, not, not just the stone or where a park is, but how people fit together. Our big aspiration on the philanthropy side is that we continue to be very cost effective, creating this sense of community Mm -hmm. to the extent that everybody we deal with thinks that there's value there. And we start to be able to do it with funding from others in other communities. Um, We work with not-for-profits that are excellent at delivering what they're focused on. We do a lot of it ourselves as well. And as we put it together, uh, I have no doubt that the money that's spent in that area is gets huge returns in society. We can't get it as part of a financial return right but I, I think that what we work on will end up uh, uh, having a lot of other capital behind us or beside us uh, creating you know a, a sense of community where people are doing better than the way we're doing now. as as
1: we look at the the, uh, the, the universe of societal needs and things that could have some impact, how do you think investors should think about focusing their energies and, and deciding what is it that they're going to go after? I mean, you know, certainly there's, there, there seems to be a bottomless pit of need in terms of things that we can change, we can impact, that we can invest in. How do we ascertain what our allocation strategy is in terms of our impact
0: energies? I, I think that one of the things we find with impact is um, it's much more interesting to people to invest where they live. Okay. So it, it, it's it's fairly local. And then if you look, let's say, at affordable housing uh, in the U.S., different states have different approaches, different government agencies have different approaches. So you really have to be a local expert. So I would say that, um, you know, it, it's it's not like Amazon that would be global. It's much more local in its nature. Each community is different. I think the U.S. has opportunity zones. They have Section 8. There's a lot of different parts. We're trying to learn about it, but it, it's pretty uh, uh, detailed. Yeah. Um, The thing that's nice about real estate is you could invest a lot of money in a relatively small area. We just want a bid to build a $5.5 billion community in downtown Toronto. And that'll keep us busy for quite some time. We're doing a lot more. But what I'm trying to get at is if we're experts around Canada, we'll have more than enough opportunities. So I would say that you know, people should focus on the impacts that are most needed in their area and the ones that they have the expertise to deliver.
1: Well, once again, it's a local business. Um, so that's, that, that's interesting to me. Well, we're obviously, we're learning as an industry to be more cognizant of metrics and of data. Um, when you think about how we can measure benchmark um, and perhaps calibrate and evaluate our efforts in impact investing, what are the kinds of metrics that you reach for? Yeah. So
0: um, we think it's important to have metrics. Uh, What we do is we came up with a system. We spent a lot of time on it and uh, we, we looked at, you know, when we're looking to buy a property, we do the financial due diligence. We do the physical due diligence, like whether the roof will stay or last or whatever, what money we might have to spend, or if it's land, what it might take to get approved. And then we also do a due diligence on what impacts we hope to achieve. And when we do that, we define goals and uh, we, we determine what we call our pathways, mm-hmm. which is the way that we expect to achieve a goal. Uh, we, we come up with key performance indicators so that we can measure how we're doing on that pathway. And uh, then what we do is we measure how well we did, and then we have it audited, just like our financial statement. So it's pretty rigorous, but we do set what those goals are. Uh, one thing I would mention is we also focus on negative pathways. Th- we, we look at what we're doing and say, hey, w- what have we embedded in how we're doing this that isn't as positive as we'd like to be? These are your examples are environmental. environmental. Yeah. Uh, we, we can do a lot of things, but then you use concrete. And uh, concrete is, is very uh, carbon intensive. Yeah, um, There are some ideas. Uh, I know that uh, for 10 times the price, you can get uh, uh, carbon captured concrete um, for what we do with a focus on returns, we can't afford that. So we, we watch closely and try to learn, um, but we do look at what are the things that we're doing that aren't having the impact we want and what's our plan to try to eliminate that in the future. So I, I think it's a pretty scientific approach. Um, what what I So that's on the impact side and we usually have like three or four. When we look at measurement, one of the things we look at is, um, let's say how deep the impact is. Mm-hmm. If the rents are 80% below market, that's a bigger impact than 20% below market. Um, But having said that, if it's six units at 80% below market and 3,000 that are 20% below market, scale is really important. So that actually may have a higher factor because you're actually producing more good um, in volume. And I think scale is so important in what we're doing. Yeah. So I, I mean, so we're focused on that. But what I would also say is, um, for those out there who are interested in numbers, effectively what we try to do is reduce our blended cost to capital. And some of that includes having higher leverage, which is more possible with federal government uh, funding. Uh, we get longer amortization so that we don't have to use as much equity to pay the debt down over time. Uh, sometimes we are able to get land at a big discount because the government will uh, 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 discount the land to offset some of the benefits we're giving. So effectively, if a market project has an 8% combined cost of capital, let's say 5% for debt and uh, 15% for equity, uh, what we might try to do is reduce it by 300 basis points. So if it goes from eight to five, that's a lot of savings. And we'll try to take as much of that savings as we can and reduce rents Mm -hmm. or we'll do a net zero building. But a lot of the math is we reduce our overall cost of capital with a lot of creativity and we share the benefit of that cost of capital advantage with the community. Mm -hmm. And if we do it right, what ends up happening is all the lower cost units will be rented hundred percent of the time forever. That's less risky. The communities will be more exciting for people and uh, with providing most of the benefit, but not necessarily all, on the equity, we might even get a higher equity return than an all market project. So we do a lot of measuring that way too.
1: It's almost like you're, you're, so much of what we do in in this business, in great part because there's high risk and there's a lot of capital that has to be aggregated in order to make it work. And we have to do it over an extended period of time is that we are reluctant to depart from what we did last time and what we did 10 years ago. And it's almost like we keep repeating the same formulas. And you're not necessarily saying take less money. What you're saying is be thoughtful right up front and take all that financial engineering and all those relationships and, and how you look at it to figure out how to solve for the overall
0: problem. Is that an accurate reflection? I think so. I, I mean, one of the things I would say is that um, you know every few years, corporations have increased expectations from the community mm-hmm. whether it's their customer the government or anybody else through covid what i thought was really amazing was um a lot of the corporations did amazing jobs and while people were having issues with the public health side of it or maybe with political side of it and lots of rules a lot of the corporations were amazing and how quickly they adapted and supported their people mm-hmm. so i think that what we're really seeing is corporations' role in society is huge. And I think the corporations themselves are saying, we have a lot of different kinds of responsibilities in this society. And um, everybody's expecting us to do more. So, you know, it's it's more intricate work. Um, But I think that it'll be very difficult to be successful going forward if organizations don't try to take into account all the different social changes that are happening anyways. So, whether it's an early adopter like we are, or somebody who's following, we're all gonna have to be doing this. And I think that it's great for all of us to take into account the broader community as part of uh, uh, our stakeholders.
1: So the world has changed. We just have to catch up to it.
0: I think so, I think so, yeah.
1: Well, um, we've pretty much run out of time here, but this is uh, this is a fascinating conversation. I would, and here we are. We're in the beginning of uh, or the middle of October of 2022. I think we're going to see a lot of this play out over the the months and years to come, especially as standards have been increasing for institutional capital to have more of a positive impact. Um, I encourage everyone to uh, go to the uh, fall issue of AFIRE Summit and take a look at uh michael's article um and also would encourage you to reach out to michael and, and find out more about some of the compelling interesting work they're doing around housing so uh thank you michael for joining me on the a fire podcast thank you for having me
0: love to hear from people you've been listening to the a fire podcast remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast subscription service such as apple spotify google stitchers and others AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice. No content in this podcast is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information included has been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable, though AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. the opinions expressed are those of its respective contributors and sources and do not necessarily reflect those of AFIRE.